Konnichiwa. And hey, y'all. I'm Leslie. And I'm Laurie. Welcome, Welcome to, to Sumo Kaboom, where we talk about all things sumo. Our love of sumo. The wrestlers. And lastly, the actual sumo. Yeah. And today we're going to cover sumo techniques or moves that can earn you a win. But first, a newsflash. Okay, let's talk news. It's a big week uh, because obviously the tournament has started. Yes. Thank goodness. Uh, we've got a lot to say about that. But first, I just want to talk about something real quick. And this applies to us Texans. If there's people out there who are listening who are from Texas. Uh, did you know that up until just like a couple of weeks ago, we had a professional sumo wrestler who was in Japan who was competing. And his name was Wakachiro. And he is actually from Houston. He's a fellow Texan. But I just wanted to give him a shout out and say congratulations on the retirement. He just came back home. And if you happen to be listening, we would love to interview you. That's right. That would be an amazing thing. But uh, we are very proud of you. Uh, It's exciting to know that we had an American over there who was competing. And also, it should be noted, that was the last American who was competing in professional sumo. So right now, there are no Americans competing at the professional level in sumo? Nope. Oh, it's sad. Well, we hope that there are other young men out there training who will soon be competing professionally. Any other Texans out there that want to go into sumo wrestling, we are behind you 100%. Yeah, we raise big boys here. So I would think that... (laughs) You'd be a natural fit. (laughs) Yeah. We breed them for football, cheerleading, and just... Sumo. And sumo, maybe. I don't know. Give it a shot if you're listening. Uh, All right. So let's talk about the newsflash regarding to the tournament. There have been no ceremonies leading up to this tournament. No tea, no sake. No, typically with all tournaments, they're surrounded by ritual and ceremony. Not this time. The wrestlers have just shown up and they are wrestling without people in the audience. And why is that? Just in case anyone missed our last episode or just missed life lately. (laughs) Missed sumo, sumo news, the coronavirus. That's right. It's affecting everyone. So Japan has taken pretty big measures uh, to protect the, you know, the the public. And I think that's been smart. Yeah, me too. The sumo wrestlers have to enter the arena. They have to be measured, their temperature. Mm-hmm. And if it's anything higher than 99.5 for two consecutive days, the tournament's over. So let's hope they all stay healthy and uh, safe, and no one comes up with a fever. That's right. They are taking it very seriously. And then reporters also, uh, the few that are being let in, have to sit in exact designated places. They're like, here, you must sit here. Do not move from this place. There are two empty places beside you and in front and in back of you. Do not move. Oh, they're all, they all have their designated place to sit yes. and they're not sitting close to anyone else at the same time. No. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. I mean, close. I mean, what's one spot versus two spots away in the coronavirus? But <laughs> well, I don't know. But Maybe that takes people out of a sneeze zone. Exactly. Or a zone, if someone should have to be sick. So uh, that I thought, I thought was interesting. Uh, one once you enter, you cannot come out. Meaning, a lot of these guys might go out and get some leave? lunch. I mean, not you... the wrestlers, but like the people that would normally assist them might go out and get their lunch and come back. There's none of that. You have to bring in everything you want with you. That just sounds for so terrifying. You can come in, but, but you, you can't, can't go out. <laughs> I know. So only apparently on the arena floor, it's only wrestlers, uh, masters, governors, and callers. Now I say at that time because I took this information from a translation from uh, something that was written in Kanji. 
Genji and I that's how they that's how they translated it. But I assume that means wrestlers stable masters. Um that and question, the gyojis, the, yeah. the referees. Okay, that's probably what a governor is. I okay. guess. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Anyone you... who's a native Japanese speaker, uh, please let us know. I'm very fascinated to know why the translation would be masters, governors, and callers. Yeah. But there are callers. Yeah, that, that makes know, sense. There are callers. I mean, the guys that call the, the, gyoji. the ring yeah. names and yeah. things like that, I would assume they're still doing all that. Yes, they are. Okay. Yes, they are. Another thing, this also may be lost in translation, which I thought was fascinating. There are no fans to be circulated, meaning... Air, like air, air circulating fans. Air fan, no air fans. Now, again, I say, <laughs> I'm not very good at translating uh, from Japanese, but uh, that's what this one source said, which I thought was fascinating. But it does make sense if that is true. It's going to be hot, sticky affair, but then there's going to be fewer bodies around for it to be stuffy backstage. So maybe they they aren't circulating air I in case the coronavirus is out there. I circulating. Know, like I am no public health specialist, but I would think that circulating air would be better. But maybe it's an enclosed arena and they're thinking of it like an airplane and they're yeah. like, we don't want to. To filth. We don't want that air to move around. I don't know. It's. I think that that's the point. It's like an airplane or it's like the cruise ships. They're circulating the same air. And I guess in an arena, it's as big as a cruise ship. So why wouldn't they, you know? Yeah, I take, guess. Take that take that precaution. precaution. Yeah. Anyway, so that's all I have from my from news, the news desk. desk. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much very for that. You're welcome. We're going to jump into the moves done in sumo wrestling, also known as, Leslie, you want to give this one a shot? Kimarite. Kimarite. It's basically what makes another wrestler fall to the ground or get pushed out of the ring. There are many, many of these moves out there, but I just wanted to give you a little historical perspective before we jump into what those moves are. Oh, I love history. I know you do, which is why <laughs> I did this just for you, because I know you're very interested in this. Which is um, a shame, because I think in junior high, I just really sucked at history. Maybe I had terrible teachers. I don't want to say that. Or maybe we age into history. Yeah, I think there. I think that's actually very true. I could have cared less about it back then. Maybe it was because I had to do all Texas history and Alamo history. Right, I am exactly. interested in the Alamo, by the way. <laughs> but... <laughs> Now I seem far more interested in history. That's just a Leslie side note. Okay, continue. <laughs> All right. So what I learned about sumo is that sumo is the influence for many other martial arts. Many of the sumo moves that we still see in sumo wrestling were imported into other martial arts like judo, karate, Aikido. I did not know that. Like Whoa. many of those same moves and, and twists and things like that that are known in those other martial art forms originally came from sumo. They might have different names, but they've come from a similar background. Well, and I'd like to just make a point here. And I was thinking about this the other day. I know we talked about it. When you watch American football, uh, football, football, not soccer football for all yeah. of our European Yes, fans American football. American football. Um, you have the offense and the defense, the line. Yes. And then when they hike the ball, you know, when they hike, whatever they say in football uh, terms. Hike. Hike. Surely that's what they do. Uh, yeah. They crush into each other like a touchy eye. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So was and a football influenced by sumo? Too? Yes. This gets me to my second point here. So sumo influence has influenced other martial arts, and it's still sumo 
as an art form itself, if you could call it an art it form. It is. Yeah, to um, me it is. It is also being influenced by other traditions and by other cultures outside of Japan. And football that you bring up is a perfect example because sumo is absolutely being influenced by American football. Oh. I mean, what is that hike but a tachi eye without the turnout? Wow. Right? Right. Yeah, it's just two groups of guys throwing themselves into each other. Well, and you put your biggest guy in the center. Am I Ex- right? Yeah. Yeah, of course you do. So yes, sumo is is influenced by American football. It's also influenced by different styles of wrestling, Greco-Roman, Korean wrestling, and it's highly influenced, especially since the 1990s, by Mongolian grappling or Mongolian wrestling. And let me just say, if any of you want to go down a fabulous rabbit hole... Get online and look up Mongolian wrestling. It is hmm. so interesting to watch. Well, they have a very, very strong wrestling tradition. Yes, like, they do. Very old as well. Yes, and you know as well as I do, the two Yokozuna that we have right now are from Mongolia, and they both grew up with that Mongolian traditional wrestling background. Oh, there's and have so brought many. Many of Rudin. those moves. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the wrestlers, by the way, who have the R-Y-U or the Y-U in their name is sometimes indicative of a Mongolian wrestler. Oh, that's I, interesting. Yeah. As a Maru, as a Maru. Yeah, yeah. And Rudin and uh, uh, Kakaru, um, not Hakaho. Uh, but there's a number of other ones that if you look, you're like, oh, because he kind of has a Mongolian sumo wrestling name. So oh. side note. Again, don't know if it's correct, but I feel like it might be correct. I did enough weird (laughs) research on it to be like, I wouldn't have just pulled that out of my ass. But then, I don't know. I have pulled a lot of things out of my ass. All right. Well, anyway, looking at how the tradition and sumo has changed throughout times is really interesting. It gave me an even bigger appreciation for those people out there who study martial arts of any kind, all the lessons that come with it. Um all the respect and uh, the interpersonal skills that you're gaining, as well as the physical and mental skills that you gain by studying a martial art. I just have the highest, highest respect for people that study those. Me too. Well done. Well done. All right. Shall I move into the big chunk of history? Yeah. Yeah, let's do. Okay. Sumo became more defined in the Edo period, which was about uh, 1603 to about 1868. I could have just said 1600 to the 1800s, and I was acting like I wasn't reading, but I'm totally reading. Okay, but great. It's 1603 to 1868. Hey, notes are a good thing. Um, good. So any around this time, there was a legal list uh, of sumo moves that you could use, and it was called the 48 Hands Arms. That's how it's translated. Okay. And around this time in the Edo period, the number 48 was, it wasn't considered like a lucky number, but it was not a problematic number. It's like a safe number. And so anything in town could have been numbered 48. So I just thought that was really interesting. So it started out about 48 moves. And then clearly now you're about to tell us a little bit later how many more moves there are. But yeah. it started out as 48, which I thought was interesting. I'm going to talk to you about some of the kimurite uh, that you commonly see in tournaments, the big ones, the ones you kind of see first and you hear the announcers, commentators say them out loud. Uh, the first one I ta- want to talk about 
is one called Oshidashi. Which Oshidashi! Is, Oshidashi! It sounds super kawaii, which is cute. I like Oshidashi, but if I was really confronted with an Oshidashi, I would be in big trouble. It is a <laughs> frontal push out of the ring. You want to Yes, talk and I a would bit love about? to explain it. I think it's easier to understand if you imagine, you put yourself in the ring. So for this example, let's imagine Leslie and, and me wrestling it out. We're having an <laughs> argument over who gets the last avocado in the fridge. And uh, we're facing each other, and I we're gonna run towards each other, and I'm gonna have my arms out in front of me, and I'm gonna use my huge strength to push Leslie's upper body hard right out of the way. That is an oshidashi. That's that's exactly what it is. <laughs> I did not win. I did well, not have a I'll, chance. I'll let you win in the next one. Oh, thank you. Okay. All right. But so I want, I want to talk to you. I went also down a rabbit hole trying to find some legendary fights that involved Oshidashi. And just a side note, you can find on our source page clips of all of these that I watched from YouTube. If you'd like to see this in action, it's really kind of fun. So I found a match from uh, 2012 that was Kakeru versus Kiseno Sato. To be noted, Kakeru is a Yokozuna and Kiseno Sato was eventually a Yokozuna. Mm-hmm. So these are very high-ranked wrestlers, at, yeah. even back in 2012. And Kakeru confidently pushed after the tachiai, which is the initial charge, with a series of forceful open hand thrusts to the neck of Kisino Sato. And it comes so hard and so fast, he just simply pushes Kisino Sato out of the ring in less than four seconds. And this move, when you really look at it, it actually looks like it's just so easy when performed to perfection, which yep. is what Kakadu did. And I imagine if you were on the receiving end, it wouldn't be very fun and you would not be able to catch your breath so that's why i think it looked just so simple that he just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and kiseno sato before he knew it had just flat out stepped outside of the ring and it was over I don't know. If I was on the receiving end of something like this, and especially if somebody was pushing at my throat, I would be running in the opposite direction. I'd just be flat out of breath. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to concentrate on the rest of my body. I wouldn't be able to breathe. Yeah. It would be overwhelming. And I think, I mean, this is Abby's big technique, isn't it? He just like windmills those arms forward. Push, 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 jab, push, jab, push. Jab. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's all a thrust guy. He uses those arms. That's his secret weapon. Well, but and Takakesho, too. Takakesho. But if you get on their belt, they're... they're they're a lot easier to beat. All right, let's move on and talk about Hitaki Komi, Great. which is a slap down to the ground. Slap down to the ground. So if Leslie and I were fighting over a big red this time. By the way, let's just let's just talk a little bit about big red. Because uh, <laughs> maybe people, people don't know what it is. Yeah, most people think, oh, it's the gum. And you're like, no, you kind of only have, you only understand this if you grew up in Texas and you kind of were raised in the 70s or 80s when no one drank water with dinner you just drank coke yeah you just drank maybe soft milk drinks. if you were a kid yeah but in our family it was just a bevy of garbage sodas that we don't drink as much now i do a little bit but it's full of sugar it tastes like a bubblegum cream soda it's great but most people when they taste it are like i don't understand you and we're like it's an acquired taste but it's still yeah. 
so delicious. It's so, the taste of our Texan youth. It is. Is what it is. So I can see us getting to a brawl oh, yeah. over the last big red. Okay? So this time, if we were facing off across a big red, I would be coming forward after you, and maybe I'd be a little bit lower than you, and I would be rushing towards you a little off balance, and you would basically just step to the side, step back, and slap me on the back or somewhere on the back of a shoulder just slapped me right down to the ground. That That's is what his hitakikomi right. is. That is. So I watched another uh, bout between Yokozuna, oh, not not Yokozuna Kakeru, I lied, uh, between Hakuho and Kasino Sato oh. in 2012. Hakuho. I know, we love Hakuho, right? So after what appeared to be a win of the Tachiai by Kasino Sato, Hakuho, in his usual fashion, becomes ignited, and he <laughs> flails his open palm fist, which is <laughs> what he does. You know, it's really interesting, after that Tachiai, yeah. he always gets one cheap slap in the face, and it, the the well, wrestlers are rattled by it. And re, well, I cannot imagine for good reason how hard that open fist or not fist. I'll talk about yeah, that no, open not slap. Fist. Yeah, to just to get slapped by a Yokozuna. Good lord. Yeah, but. Kisino Sato then steps back and successfully pushes Hako back, which seems to ignite the street fighter within Hako even more. <laughs> so he comes in with a lightning fast assault. Hako does a quick pivot and pushes Kisino Sato backwards. And it is so fast. It's a slap, slap, slap. Elbow push up to the chest. And with that, he brutally grabs the back of Kisino Sato's neck and slams his body to the ground. You can see his body kind of ricochet off of the ground. With each thrust working Kasino Sato's center of gravity, he again cannot catch a break. He finishes Kasino Sato off in a legendary Hitakikomi slap down in six seconds, which is actually pretty long in tumo in in, in tumo. tumo in sumo terms. Oh my gosh. Okay, so I thought you did a great job explaining that bout. Thank you. Yeah. Let's move on to Yori Kitty. Yori Kitty. Which sounds cute. <laughs> but it is so not. No, it is a frontal force out. Yes. So it's when one wrestler grabs the opponent's belt, pulls his body in close, and usually in close contact with the other, walks him straight out of the ring. It's sometimes done without a belt hold, but usually without the belt, there's this funny belly bouncing technique that's done with it that just looks really just kind of awkward and funny but yeah, that is still it works it's t- you know who has the best bump which uh, one koto shogi oh bump. yeah he's got you the best belly bounce of anybody compete with that belly bounce <laughs> he's so good at it <laughs> and uh i think it's important to point out here that yorikiri and oshidashi are similar looking mm-hmm. but they're slightly different depending on if you're holding the belt really or not and if you if somebody's in close or somebody's far away but those two techniques there account for nearly half of all bouts ending in really sumo. Half. really used well often well let me tell you about another legendary battle please do and now don't feel too bad about Kisino Sato because he did eventually become a Yokozuna yes and he did manage to kick some ass and I'm about to tell you about it he had a secret weapon of his own and it was his preferred Kimurite and it was used brutally on Hakaho oh, in okay. 2010. So after a long bout in which the typical squirrely Hakaho wins the Tachi, I'm not sure how I feel about I you love calling squirrely. Hakaho squirrely. I would not call him squirrely. I'm talking about the best at- attributes of a squirrel. 
makes him sound like a rodent or he, you know he's, something he's, he's that quick he's that's fast. why i use that term is you know how you know little squirrels scratch their ears they're so fast yeah and then they're they're halfway across the street and then they're like staying there for a while and they go back and they don't get hit by a car that's what he does to me he he has these lightning fast switches in how he moves and okay. that's why i use squirrely but i would it's call not an insult a tiger Okay. Agree to, agree to disagree. <laughs> okay. Anyway, he wins the Tachiai and continues at Kisinosato with an assault of slaps. As usual, pushes, pivots, and forward motion. His assault is unstoppable, except for the force of Kisinosato, who's pushing back with his entire body to move Hakaho backwards. Hakaho attempts a belt throw on Kisinosato. As he's moving backwards, Kisinosato does not budge. Kisinosato pushes him back further with his right hand firmly on Hakaho's belt. Hakaho has the audacity to try the belt throw again. That's what I mean by like when he's up against the ropes, he's he's still trying. Oh, and he will often win. He will often win. This time he did not. He even went for a leg kokanage, which is basically a trip up of the leg, but Kasuno Sato pushes Hakaho to the edge of the Tawada, the, the, the ring basically, and simply finishes him off with one last easy push and frontal force out with his hand on his belt. And he knew he fought with everything he had because at the end of it, Hakaho's legendary streak was over. He had won 63 matches in a row, and Casino Sato's face at the end of that tournament was something I, I had just not seen, ever. It it was it was like I got you. I finally got you, Hakaho. That's why I kind of loved it. Oh, got it. Yeah. I lo- I mean, and I love an underdog, and Casino Sato was an underdog, so I love an underdog story. I get that. You're making me. Very, very excited to watch some more sumo. Yeah, it's it's happening now. I love it. Can I tell you a little bit about something else you may or may not have heard about? Yeah, absolutely. And then I want to go into a few other of these moves. Oh, perfect. Let's talk about kinjite. kinjite. Do you know what those are? No, what's kinjite? Those are forbidden moves. Oh, yes, yes. Just like dirty dancing. Okay. You're not allowed to do them. Okay. Um, but then again, I don't know, Maybe maybe it's fun like dirty dancing i don't know but this is one that's random and not funny anyway what is never seen typically is a closed fist punch that is strictly forbidden and that's why when we were talking about it earlier uh it just doesn't happen well that would be like a street fight it would be and i would not want to be in a street fight with a sumo so, wrestler because no, you would not stand no, a chance no way uh, here's a weird one you're not allowed to grab both of the other wrestlers ears with your palms which I'm really glad about because any sort of movement that starts with the head makes me very nervous anyway. Yeah. Like, there is a move. They already do crazy things I, with their head that make me nervous. Well, I know. I was just looking up this this move called uh, Kubihineri, a head-twisting throw where a wrestler puts one hand around the neck of the opponent and twists to one side. Ooh. I mean, it looks terrifying. Ooh. So anything that starts with the head kind of always just... That makes me queasy. Yeah. Ooh. Well, let me tell you about one that you actually kind of do see on occasion, and this oh. is hair pulling. Oh, on accident. On accident. But the bout I'm about to tell you about, maybe not. Oh, you don't think it was on accident? No. Let me just say that each stable has their own Tokuyama, who is a specialized hairstylist only for sumo wrestlers. I think it should just be noted. What other sport has a hairstylist? I don't know, but they all need them. And like maybe I could ice have skating? One? Maybe ice skating? Maybe a, a gymnast's, maybe? 
that no, put all the girls' hair like, back? No, with all no, no. With, with all the shellacking of the products that go into girls' hair? No, because they have way too many of those clips. And I need to be <laughs> so like, Quit you can tell on it's clips. not a professionally no, done it's not, operation. A professional would not let that many clips hit the hit the mat. <laughs> That's just my opinion about professional gymnastics. Anyway, so I can understand why a wrestler uh, wouldn't want anyone touching their hair, even though their hair does get totally messed up during mm-hmm. most of these bouts. Absolutely. But if you've seen it, you know that that's a no that's a no go so back in 2003 uh, yokozuno asashoryu brutally grabbed the hair of his rival kokyo shuzan and he pushed him to the ground so it was tip it's a little bit hard to see but the monoe there was a monoe which is the side judges come out and talk about um how the bout was ruled and it was ruled in asashoryu's favor but the monoe they reversed it because one of the side judges it looked and if you look at the match it does look more purposeful than Tochi Notions was last year where yeah. he he accidentally got, got a finger caught in the other guy's yeah, top yeah. knot. This one kind of looked a little bit more like ah uh, this is the back of the base of your head Ooh. and it looked like a chunk of hair was in his hand so and, but the people went crazy the fans threw all these purple cushions everywhere oh, sure. it was it was a legendary disqualification of a Yokozuna yeah so Ugh. But overall, I think uh, hair pulling is good to be in the category of no can use. Right. Have you ever heard of this? Losing your mawashi also Um, equals a disqualification. Only from you. Yes. (laughs) Well, I tell this story because it sounds funny at first, but then after I did all this research, I felt really bad for this guy. So back in 2000, unfortunately, this wrestler was in a bout and it just simply came loose. It didn't, I don't think it came like, to the ground, but his loose enough, for, loose enough for to, his appendage to, to fall out to make a an appearance, an appearance at this boss show, and Poor um, guy. yeah, and he he was quoted as saying, "I tied my mawashi the way I always do, but today it just came loose," which I think is a great title for a book, and I hope that he wrote he wrote a book because I was sure I sure as hell would read that. <laughs> so he did a Janet Jackson. Yeah, but, you know, his career was kind of tanked after that. Well, That's so did the, Janet's. Janet's I career. I think Janet's doing still just fine. Well, she came back. Maybe it takes like 20 years. I digress. I digress. But, you know, for this guy, it was, I imagine, so embarrassing for him. And... <sighs> So that's kind of sad, but you can't lose <laughs> your belt. You can't show everybody your privates. That's right. So here's another uh, one before I wrap this up. I wanted to say my friend Daniel brought to my attention a documentary he had seen. And if any of our viewers know what this is, please message us on our social media and let me know if you know how to find this. I found a short commercial produced by just look in our show notes, okay? But what it is, is back in the Edo period, like I said, there were 48 hands, arms moves that were um, that were sumo moves. At the same time, there was also another manual called 48 hands, arms. And it was actually pretty much the Japanese Kama Sutra. It was a collection of 48 sexual positions. Now, I'm saying that right now because Daniel swears he saw a documentary about how sumo wrestlers have sex using some of these ancient art form of sexual positions mm-hmm. and that i mean these wrestlers all have wives and kids so they're doing it somehow but the truth is they would crush their lovers with their massive body weight 
Anyway, I just wanted to bring to your attention that there are other moves in the sumo world that we might not quite know about because they're behind closed doors. But if anybody uh, knows of what this is, I am dying to know. I'm dying to know. And the video, it was produced by Durex, and it showed some of these, um, the, the lover and the and the guy, or the girl and the guy, would like crush into each other, a la Itachi Eye, and that's how their passion passionate tryst would start. Oh. Uh, yeah. He was saying that there's like a whole documentary about how they specifically follow these rituals, even in lovemaking. So in all hmm. parts of their lives, sumo wrestlers are surrounded by ritual and ceremony and tradition. Well, pretty cool, huh? Yeah, that is pretty cool. So you have not seen any part of this. No, just the highlights from the Durex produced commercial, which did was about three or four of the moves and it was okay. only like a two minute commercial type okay. thing it aired in 1998 because that's when daniel and i were over there okay so it i don't know if it was a full movie or if it was just a 30 minute segment on a television show it was in japanese it was obviously not in english so okay. hit us up if you find out what that is wow. i've got to know wow okay okay Changing the subject a bit after that interesting documentary, um, I want to let people know that there are 82 kimarite or match-winning techniques right now that are recognized by the Japanese Sumo Association. And that number 82 now, it obviously has changed from the original 48. It was 70 for a while. I think it was just in 2001 that they added the last 12 mm, interesting. Uh, influenced from Mongolian wrestling. Anyway, I digress a little oh. bit. Let me just... Yes? I read somewhere, even in the 48 Hands Arms yeah. manual from the Edo period, yeah. that there were 12 of this throwing technique, 12 of this other type of technique. So it was done in 12s. Oh, that's interesting. So I'm interested to know why they added 12 again. Yeah, maybe it's a sacred number. Maybe 12 is, yeah. Interesting. Oh my God, there's so much to learn about this, you guys. And we're gonna numbers. We're going to be busy for years. <laughs> going to be busy for years. <laughs> I want to talk about a rare kimarite. There's one called a triple attack force out. Ooh, what's that? That I have never seen used. It's uh, only been seen in the top division a handful of times. But if Leslie and I were wrestling and she was going for my belt, she would get like really low <laughs> and close to me. She would wrap one leg around mine and then she would reach over with her hands, pick up my opposite thigh and then push her head as hard as she can into my chest until I fell over backwards. That's basically what a triple attack force out is. Whoa. And that it, sounds like a round of twister. It does sound like a round of twister. I would <laughs> think if anyone was going to use that technique, it would be someone like Enho but I don't oh, know. Yeah. I don't know. I look forward to seeing that at some point. I have I, seen a picture of it. I have seen. A, have you? Of, in action. Yeah. I at least think that's what it is. It looks like two sumo wrestlers in the straddle splits with both having one foot on the ground and their belly to belly. No, I think you are thinking of a different one. Oh, Whoa. If you're talking about the something that looks like the splits with one foot in the air, yeah, yeah, that one is my favorite. Oh, what one is that? That one is called kokenage. Kokenage, Ho hooking inner thigh throw. Kokenage. So kokenage, kakenage. I do not speak Japanese, so I'm giving it my best here, people. I'm not exactly sure how to say it, uh, but it's hooking inner thigh throw. And it's one that's used in judo. Uh, wrestlers 
pull their opponent in close. They hook one thigh and they lift that leg high and then fall into their opponent. It's usually done right at the edge of the ring. It's a beautiful throw because it often... Is. It's like ballet. Well, often it gets to this point where they're, one leg is up high, their head is down low, they're leaning into each other, and it becomes a, it becomes a test of balance and of strength. It's Whoa. just a really beautiful head-to-head, tete-a-tete type move. And it reminds me very much of ballet. It's gorgeous. And it's usually done right at the edge of the ring, which means if someone falls, they're going to fall a long distance and probably into the crowd. So there's some tension whenever it's done. I just think it's beautiful. I see pictures of it all the time. And I love it. Do you have another one that's a favorite of yours? Not a favorite. The ones that make me nervous are some of the throws that happen at the Tawada because <laughs> yeah. I know that they're going to fall off and I don't necessarily care about the people in the front row because they know they're sitting there. They they know that well, they, they could possibly get smashed. And they seem to love it. They seem to love it. But I always think about just how injured that wrestler could get. So I like the belly push because it's always you don't always get to see it, yeah. especially when Kota Shogaku does it. Um, but I would say I get more nervous at at the at the throws at the ring. Yeah. You guys, there's so much more we could say on all these moves because there's 82 of them that are recognized. Right. If anyone out there is really interested in seeing all of those moves, there's a great resource right now on the NHK website. They have little videos of mm-hmm. each move and an explanation of how they're done slow and quickly. So you could always go there and learn more. I would highly suggest that you train at home to do one of or more of these moves. And our show now becomes How to Become a Sumo Wrestler. That is taught right. by Laurie by Laurie Collins, who's <laughs> never done sumo in her life, but who has tried some of these sumo training techniques at home. And I think they're amazing. That's because, what I've been hearing yes, upstairs. Because they teach you strength, they give you core strength and amazing flexibility. So let me just explain one, just in case there's someone out there who wants to try. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Sumo squat. This is used in martial arts training. Oh, I, no, I did it in Zumba this morning. You did morning. a sumo squat this morning? Yes. I do it at the gym. Okay. They call them sumo squats. And I'm like, these are hard. Okay. Well, let's see if it's the one I'm thinking of. It's where you squat. You slowly move your squat to one leg with your knee bent. And you lift the opposite leg high, as high as you can in the air. Then you straighten both legs. So you've got one leg down, one leg up. And then you reverse it slowly to the ground and do it to the other side. So you're going one at a time. You're not using any momentum. You're trying to make it as slow and graceful as you can. You're not using your arms. And it builds incredible strength. It's hard. Like, it's one of those things that looks so easy when you see sumo wrestlers do it. And it is incredibly difficult. I believe that they are required in the morning to do like 200 or 500. Oh, yeah, hundreds of them. Hundreds of them every morning. That's how they start out their practice yeah. is doing those. Yep. So that's why go, their folks. lower halves are insanely strong and huge. I know. A lot of people don't see all the muscle underneath there. And I'm like, look, it is there. When they do the mm-hmm. tachi eye and you're looking certain camera angles at these guys, their muscles in their lower half are enormous. Intense. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. So there you go. There's your sumo training tip for the week. 
I think we've got uh, one or two questions. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Let's get to our Q&A. We yeah. had some fun ones this week. All right. Dougie Caravella of Dallas and Dallas, Texas, I might say, and Matt Donnelly of Las Vegas ask, what is the significance of the salt they throw before the match? All right. It's purifying the ring. So Sumo's rituals are based on ancient Shinto ceremony and rituals. So the tossing of the salt is basically clearing the doyo, which is the ring of bad spirits, bad energy. It's just part of the ancient ceremony, you know, that they've been doing for 2000 years. Uh, All right. Next question is from Michelle Fix from New York City. Yes. Offhand, I know of one thing, which is obviously in ye old days... The wrestlers, ye old ye days, old days, ye old wrestler days. Um, they would, and they still do. They wrestle under the canopy, mm-hmm. and in the arena, you see it hanging from the ceiling. But there's no side poles. And in the ye old days, they had side poles, so they have taken off the poles for uh, our viewing pleasure. Yeah. So basically, the support poles for mm-hmm. the canopy, yes, yeah, are gone. Are gone. And it dangles from the top of the arena. And there's cameras up there. It's all for our yeah for that Esther Williams view yes from above absolutely um anyone who's younger than like sorry if you did not get that reference (laughs) also most people our age don't know who Esther Williams is so we grew up in a very strange house where we grew up with movie musicals and Esther Williams films that's right if you don't know who she is look her up look her up she's a great swimmer uh, anyway, we have the last question from Rachel Sherwin Carnahan, and she writes, what are the weight classes for sumo wrestlers? All right. I just want to make a side note. Rachel says she has a daughter who's into wrestling, and I just want to say, hell yeah. Please, is she into sumo wrestling? No, because they don't. No one does sumo wrestling here. Well, I imagine obviously someone does. There's a wrestler in Houston. Well, right. And there are sumo you know, groups all around the country, yeah, yeah. which I US, love. Yeah, sumo USA. Um, and we will do... Uh, episode on female sumo wrestlers because they are out there yes. and it's very exciting and it's so up and coming and they are making a making an appearance on the scene and it's very exciting. So anyway, to go back to that question, there are no weight classes in wrestling and the wrestlers have advantages and both disadvantages for being small or being very large and and each wrestler learns how to work with what they've got there there's a tiny wrestler now named Inho who we've talked a lot about and he's 5'6 216 pounds or somewhere in in there and he's crushing it he's crushing it so can I just say yeah I finally watched the movie Rudy so uh, I understand now what you're talking about when you Inho say that Inho is, is the Rudy, Rudy story. story Small body, big heart. Yes. That's what you mean. So anyway, that is our style of sumo at Sumo Kaboom. Please tune in again for more info on the sport we love. Yes, join us online and on the social medias at Sumo Kaboom. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Uh, Send us your questions. Yes. We'll answer them in an episode. Or if we can't get down to the bottom of it, we will find an expert who can. Until then, I am Laurie. And I'm Leslie of, of Sumo, Sumo Kaboom. Kaboom. Thanks for listening. Sayonara. And see y'all later.